Our goal that sent me to sleep is to help the world get a good night's rest. Everyone deserves that. So if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the place to find a good night's rest. My name's Andrew, and I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight and taken this time for yourself to ensure you get a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, The Chase of Robin, Part 1, by Howard Pyle. In the last chapter, Robin and his merry men had triumphed in the King's archery challenge at Finsbury Field. In tonight's story, Robin and his merry men will be on the run from the King's guard. If you haven't already, find a nice place to get cosy. Take a deep, relaxing breath and settle your body in whatever way feels most comfortable. Now all you'll need to do is follow the sound of my voice. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften. As we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chase of Robin Hood. So Robin Hood and the others left the archery range at Finsbury Field, and, tarrying not, set forth straightway upon their homeward journey. And it was well for them that they did so, for they had not gone more than three or four miles upon their way, when six of the yearmen of the King's Guard came bustling among the crowd that still lingered seeking for Robin and his men, to seize upon them and make them prisoners. Truly, it was an ill-done thing in the king to break his promise, but it all came about through the Bishop of Hereford's doing, for thus it happened. After the king left the archery ground, he went straightway to his cabinet, and with him went the Bishop of Hereford and Sir Robert Lee. But the king said never a word to these two, but sat gnawing at his nether lip, for his heart was galled within him by what had happened. At last, the Bishop of Hereford spoke in a low, sorrowful voice. It is a sad thing, your majesty, that this knavish outlaw should be let to escape in this wise, for let him but get back to Sherwood Forest safe and sound, and he may snap his fingers at king and king's men. At these words, the king raised his eyes and looked grimly upon the bishop. 
Sayest thou so? Quoth he. Now I will show thee, in good time, how much thou dost dare, for, when the forty days are past and gone, I will seize upon this thievish outlaw, if I have to tear down all of Sherwood to find him. Thinkest thou that the laws of the King of England are to be so evaded by one poor knave without friends or money? The bishop spoke again in his soft, smooth voice. Forgive my boldness, your majesty, and believe that I have naught but the good of England and your majesty's desirings at heart. But what would it boot though my gracious lord did root up every tree of Sherwood? Are there not other places for Robin Hood's hiding? Cannock Chase is not far from Sherwood, and the great forest of Arden is not far from Cannock Chase. Beside these are many other woodlands in Nottingham and Derby, Lincoln and York, amid any of which your majesty might as well think to seize upon Robin Hood as to lay finger upon a rat among the dust and broken things of a garret. Nay, my gracious lord, if he doth once plant foot in the woodland, he is lost to the law for ever. At these words the king tapped his fingertips upon the table beside him with vexation. What wouldst thou have me do, bishop? quoth he. Didst thou not hear me pledge my word to the queen? Thy talk is as barren as the wind from the bellows upon dead coals. Far be it from me, said the cunning bishop to point the way to one so clear-sighted as your majesty. But were I the King of England, I should look upon the matter in this wise. I have promised my queen, let us say, that for forty days the cunningest rogue in all England shall have freedom to come and go. But lo, I find this outlaw in my grasp. Shall I, then, foolishly cling to a promise so hastily given. Suppose that I had promised to do her majesty's bidding, whereupon she bade me to slay myself. Should I, then, shut mine eyes and run blindly upon my sword? Thus would I argue within myself. Moreover, I would say unto myself, a woman knoweth naught of the great things appertaining to state government, and likewise I know a woman is ever prone to take up a fancy, even as she would pluck a daisy from the roadside, and then throw it away when the savour is gone. Therefore, though she hath taken a fancy to this outlaw, it will soon wane away and be forgotten. As for me, I have the greatest villain in all England in my grasp. Shall I, then, open my hand and let him slip betwixt my fingers? Thus, your majesty, would I say to myself, were I the king of England. So the bishop talked, and the king lent his ear to his evil counsel, until, after a while, he turned to Sir Robert Lee and bade him send six of the yearmen of the guard to take Robin Hood and his three men prisoners. Now, 
Sir Robert Lee was a gentle and noble knight, and he felt grieved to the heart to see the king so break his promise. Nevertheless, he said nothing, for he saw how bitterly the king was set against Robin Hood. But he did not send the yeoman of the guard at once, but went first to the queen and told her all that had passed, and bade her send word to Robin of his danger. This he did not for the well-being of Robin Hood, but because he would save the Lord's honour if he could. Thus it came about that when, after a while, the yeoman of the guard went to the archery field, they found not Robin and the others, and so got no cakes at the fair. The afternoon was already well nigh gone when Robin Hood, Little John, Will and Alan set forth upon their homeward way, trudging along merrily through the yellow slanting light which speedily changed to rosy red as the sun sank low in the heavens. The shadows grew long and finally merged into the greyness of the mellow twilight. The dusty highway lay all white betwixt the dark hedgerows, and along it walked four fellows like four shadows, the pat of their feet sounding loud, and their voices as they talked, ringing clear upon the silence of the air. The great round moon was floating breathlessly up in the eastern sky when they saw before them the twinkling lights of Barnet Town some ten or twelve miles from London. Down they walked through the stony streets and past the cosy houses with overhanging gables before the doors of which sat burghers and craftsmen in the mellow moonlight with their families about them and so came at last on the other side of the hamlet to a little inn all shaded with roses and woodbines. Before this inn, Robin Hood stopped, for the spot pleased him well. Quoth he, Here we will take up our inn and rest for the night, for we are well away from London town and our king's wrath. Moreover, if I mistake not, we will find sweet faring within. What say ye, lads? In sooth, good master, quoth little John, Thy bidding and my doing ever fit together like cakes and ale. Let us in, I say also. Then up spake Will Scarlet. I am ever ready to do what thou sayest, uncle. Yet I could wish that we were further upon our way, ere we rest for the night. Nevertheless, if thou thinkest best, let us in for the night, say I also. So in they went, and called for the best that the place afforded. Then a right good feast was set before them, with two stout bottles of old sack to wash it down withal. So the feast passed merrily, and never had that inn seen such a lusty feeder as these four stout fellows. But at last they were done with their eating, though it seemed as though they would never have ended, and sat loitering over the sack. As they so sat, the landlord came in of a sudden, 
and said that there was one at the door, a certain young esquire, Richard Partington, of the Queen's household, who wished to see the lad in blue, and speak with him without loss of time. So Robin arose quickly, and, bidding the landlord not to follow him, left the others gazing at one another and wondering what was about to happen. When Robin came out of the inn, he found young Richard Partington sitting upon his horse in the white moonlight, awaiting his coming. What news bearest thou, Sir Page? said Robin. I trust that it is not of an ill nature. Why, said young Partington, for the matter of that, it is ill now. The king hath been bitterly stirred up against thee by the vile bishop of Hereford. He sent to arrest thee at the archery butts at Finsbury Field, but not finding thee there, he hath gathered together his armed men, fifty score and more, and is sending them in haste along this very road to Sherwood, either to take thee on the way, or to prevent thy getting back to the woodlands again. He hath given the Bishop of Hereford command over all these men, and thou knowest what thou hast to expect of the Bishop of Hereford. Short shrift and long rope. Two bands of horsemen are already upon the road, not far behind me, so thou hast better get thee gone from this place straightway, for if thou tarriest longer, thou art like to sleep this night in a cold dungeon. This word the queen hath bidden me bring to thee. Now, Richard Partington, quoth Robin, this is the second time that thou hast saved my life, and if the proper time ever cometh, I will show thee that Robin Hood never forgets these things. As for that Bishop of Hereford, if I ever catch him nigh to Sherwood again, things will be like to go ill with him. Thou mayest tell the good queen that I will leave this place without delay, and will let the landlord think we are going to St. Albans, but when we are upon the high road again, I will go one way through the country, and will send my men the other, so that if one falleth into the king's hands, the other may haply escape. We will go by devious ways, and so, I hope, will reach Sherwood in safety. And now, Sir Page, I wish thee farewell. Farewell, thou bold yeoman, said young Partington and mayest thou reach thy hiding in safety. So each shook the other's hand, and the lad, turning his horse's head, rode back towards London, while Robin entered the inn once more. There he found his yeoman sitting in silence, waiting his coming. Likewise, the landlord was there, for he was curious to know what Master Partington had to do with the fellow in blue. Up, my merry men, quoth Robin. This is no place for us, 
for those are after us with whom we will stand an ill chance and we fall into their hands. So we will go forward once more, nor will we stop this night till we reach St. Albans. Hereupon, taking out his purse, he paid the landlord his score, and so they left the inn. When they had come to the high road without the town, Robin stopped and told them all that had passed between young Partington and himself, and how that the king's men were after them with hot heels. Then he told them that here they should part company, they three going to the eastward and he to the westward, and so, skirting the main high roads, he would come by devious paths to Sherwood. So, be ye wily, said Robin Hood, and keep well away from the northward road till ye have gotten well to the eastward. And thou, Will Scarlet, take the lead of the others, for thou hast a cunning turn to thy wits. Then Robin kissed the three upon the cheeks, and they kissed him, and so they parted company. Not long after this, a score or more of the king's men came clattering up to the door of the inn at Barnet Town. Here they leaped from their horses and quickly surrounded the place. The leader of the band and four others entered the room where the yearmen had been, but they found that their birds had flown again and that the king had been balked a second time. Methought that they were naughty fellows, said the host, when he heard who the men-at-arms sought. But I heard the blue-clad knave say that they would go straight forward to St. Albans, so, an ye hurry forward, ye may, perchance, catch them on the high road betwixt here and there. For this news, the leader of the band thanked mine host right heartily, and, calling his men together, mounted and set forth again, galloping forward to St. Albans upon a wild goose chase. After Little John and Will Scarlet and Alan Dale had left the highway near Garnet, they travelled towards the eastward without stopping, as long as their legs would carry them, until they came to Chelmsford in Essex. Thence they turned northward and came through Cambridge and Lincolnshire to the good town of Gainsborough. Then, striking to the westward and the south, they came at last to the northern borders of Sherwood Forest, without in all that time having met so much as a single band of king's men. Eight days they journeyed thus, ere they reached the woodlands in safety. But when they got to the greenwood glade, they found that Robin had not yet returned. For Robin was not as lucky in getting back as his men had been, as you shall presently hear. After having left the great northern road, he turned his face to the westward, and so came past Aylesbury to fair Woodstock in Oxfordshire. Thence he turned his footsteps northward 
traveling for a great distance by way of Warwick Town, till he came to Dudley in Staffordshire. Seven days it took him to journey thus far, and then he thought he had gotten far enough to the north, so, turning towards the eastward, shunning the main road and choosing byways and grassy lanes, he went, by way of Litchfield and Ashby de la Zouche, towards Sherwood, until he came to a place called Stanton. And now Robin's heart began to laugh aloud, for he thought that his danger had gone by, and that his nostrils would soon snuff the spicy air of the woodlands once again. But there is many a slip betwixt the cup and the lip, and this Robin was to find, for thus it was. When the king's men found themselves foiled at St. Albans, and that Robin and his men were not to be found high nor low, they knew not what to do. Presently, another band of horsemen came, and another, until all the moonlit streets were full of armed men. Betwixt midnight and dawn, another band came to the town, and with them came the Bishop of Hereford. When he heard that Robin Hood had once more slipped out of the trap, he stayed not a minute, but, gathering his band together, he pushed forward to the northward with speed, leaving orders for all the troops that came to St. Albans to follow after him without tarrying. On the evening of the fourth day he reached Nottingham Town, and there straightway divided his men into bands of six or seven, and sent them all through the countryside, blocking every highway and byway to the eastward and to the southward and the westward of Sherwood. The sheriff of Nottingham called forth all his men likewise, for he saw that this was the best chance that he ever had befallen of paying back his score in full to Robin Hood. Will Scarlet and Little John and Alan Adale had just missed the king's men to the eastward, for the very next day after they had passed the line and entered Sherwood, the roads through which they had travelled were blocked, so that, had they tarried in their journeying, they would surely have fallen into the bishop's trap. But of all this, Robin knew not a whit, so he whistled merrily as he trudged along the road beyond Stanton, with his heart as free from care as the yolk of an egg is from cobwebs. At last, he came to where a little stream spread across the road in a shallow sheet, tinkling and sparkling as it fretted over its bed of golden gravel. Here, Robin stopped, being athirst, and, kneeling down, he made a cup of the palms of his hands and began to drink. On either side of the road, for a long distance, stood tangled thickets of bushes and young trees, and it pleased Robin's heart to hear the little birds singing therein, for it made him think of Sherwood, and it seemed as though it had been a lifetime since he had breathed the air of the woodlands. But of a sudden, as he thus stooped, drinking, 
something hissed past his ear and struck with a splash into the gravel and water beside him. Quick as a wink, Robin sprang to his feet and at one bound crossed the stream and the roadside and plunged headlong into the thicket without looking around, for he knew right well that which had hissed so venomously beside his ear was a grey goose shaft, and that to tarry so much as a moment meant death. Even as he leaped into the thicket, six more arrows rattled among the branches after him, one of them piercing his doublet, and would have struck deeply into his side but for the tough coat of steel that he wore. Then up the road came riding some of the king's men at headlong speed. They leaped from their horses and plunged straightway into the thicket after Robin. But Robin knew the ground better than they did, so crawling here, stooping there, and anon, running across some little open, he soon left them far behind coming out at last upon another road about eight hundred paces distant from the one that he had left. Here he stood for a moment, listening to the distant shouts of the seven men as they beat up and down in the thickets like hounds that had lost the scent of the quarry. Then, buckling his belt more tightly around his waist, he ran fleetly down the road towards eastward and Sherwood.